Well, good morning, everyone. I am very happy to say that I never got into my mother's makeup. <laughs> my father's tools were another thing altogether. But uh, thank you, Miss Lori, for that wonderful message. I uh, want to welcome everybody here to Morning Hour Chapel, whether you're worshiping with us in the room or whether you're worshiping with us uh, via the live stream, or even if you're watching this video later, welcome. We are so blessed to have you with us today. Um, last week, we made an announcement uh, about a summer study that we're going to be offering here at Morning Hour Chapel. And the name of the study is Discipleship 101, Exploring the Bible. Uh, we're going to be running this from July 6th to August 31st on Tuesday evenings from 6.30 to 8. And we're going to be looking at different types of Bible study. We're going to be learning how to learn the Bible, learn how to study the Bible. And we're going to be learning how to store God's Word in our heart. We're going to, we're going to learn some ways that we can uh, memorize the Bible to learn it. Uh, because uh, last week we talked about the, the fact that uh, one of the things, oh, well, you guys can still hear me, right? All right, I'll put it up here. Thank you. Um, one of the, th oh, it's better. <laughs> uh, one of the things that we want to do when we want to try uh, to, to live a, a godly life, when we want to try to live a holy life, a sanctified life, is uh, when we are tempted, uh, when we have God's word in our heart, when we can recall the things that Jesus told us, when we can recall the things that God had other people put down in his word, uh, it's a lot easier to, to fight those temptations. It's a lot easier to say, no, I'm not going to do this because God told me this, because God made this promise, because God wants me to live a life that is pleasing to him. And we're going to lead this class uh, this summer, simply because sometimes we struggle with the Bible. Um, we struggle with reading it, we struggle with studying it, we struggle with understanding it, and uh, sometimes we just need to learn how to learn. So basically we, uh, we need some help and we need to learn how to listen for the Holy Spirit's teaching as we're reading. So uh, again, more information will be coming out. We'll have a sign-up sheet um, coming out in May uh, so that you can sign up for this, for this course. We're going to be doing it up in the fellowship hall. Uh, so we've got plenty of room for everybody that wants to come out. But we need to study, we need to learn how to learn. We need to learn how to study. We need to learn how to do a lot of things in the Christian life because uh, we need help. We, we need help. We need help from the Holy Spirit. We need help from other people. And hopefully we, we're looking for help from, from people who are uh, walking this Christian faith with us, and we're not looking for help from people who maybe aren't uh, looking for God's best for their lives. But that's something we have a hard time with. How many of you have a hard time asking for help? Anybody have a hard time asking for help? A couple of people here and there. Sometimes we, we <laughs> sometimes it's difficult to ask for help because we convince ourselves that our problems are fairly insignificant compared to what's happening in the world, and, and maybe they are. But seemingly tiny, insignificant problems, when they accumulate over time, become overwhelmingly huge problems. And we look at each 
individual problem, we could look at each little tiny problem like a snowflake. And we see a snowflake and it kind of is falling down and we, you know, we kind of can track it with our eyes. And then another snowflake falls and then another falls and then all of a sudden, you got a blizzard on your hands. And everything is covered and everything just grinds to a halt. And we see that here in central Pennsylvania, but we also see it in our lives. Sometimes when we let problems accumulate and troubles accumulate, everything just grinds to a halt. I know people who get very depressed, who can't leave their bedrooms, who can't do anything because they let all of these problems accumulate. It's kind of like that uh, antique French bread slicer that we looked at a couple of weeks ago when we started this sermon series called A Restoration Project. And, and this bread slicer, we see it's, it's all nasty and rusty and dirty, and it didn't, it didn't just become rusty and nasty and grimy and dirty overnight. It took a lot of time. It took a lot of exposure to things that were bad for it. And it took a lot of neglect. People just, the, the owner of this, this slicer was not paying attention to what was going on. And our lives don't just suddenly fall apart either. It takes time. Takes neglect. Takes things kind of that are bad for us coming into our lives and affecting us. And it also takes a little bit of stubbornness on our part against asking for help when we need it. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we ought to know that there are two different groups of people that we can rely on. We can rely on God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit when we're having problems. And often when we think about relying on God, we believe that God doesn't have time for our tiny little insignificant problems. There's COVID-19 out there. There's wars, there's famine, there's drought. My problems are not important to God. He wouldn't be interested. They're tiny little snowflake problems. That's just not true. First Peter verses 6 and 7 tell us, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Read that verse again. Casting all your anxieties on him. All of them. Not just the big important ones, not just the ones that, that are really, that we feel are significant, but all our anxieties. And we have anxieties. We have anxieties hourly, daily, weekly, monthly, all of these things that we are anxious about. And God wants us to lay it all on Him. He's got big shoulders, He can handle it. We must believe as followers of Jesus Christ, that God loves us and cares for us. In Matthew 6, uh, Jesus says, don't worry about food or clothing or shelter because God knows that we need all of these things. He says, don't worry about them. But when we do worry, we ought to cast our anxieties, cast our worries on him because he cares for us. 
And I think sometimes the, the, the first part of, of Peter's statement here is the problem, the thing that trips us up the most. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And we sometimes, don't we let pride get in the way of asking for God's help? We want to believe that we can do things on our own. I can get up in the morning and I can face 140 students in my classroom, even the one student that has just been a pain all year long, I can face it, I don't need any help at all. And then, of course, I get less and less patient as time goes on because I'm not asking God for help. We want to believe that we are strong enough to handle our problems. And, and sadly, and, and I, I don't say this because I, I, I want to sound sexist or anything, but men, men really have a problem asking for help. Men really have a problem because they're men. I am strong enough. I can handle my, I can handle a blizzard with my snowblower, right? I can handle anything. Is that true? Men, can we handle anything? Women, can you handle anything? And believe me, I know my wife handles about a hundred times more than I do. She is, she is going from morning until night. She is Proverbs 31. She is burning the candle at both ends. She's burning it in the middle. She's trying to light the little drips that drip down onto the table just to get a little bit more energy to do the things that she wants to do. But if we understand that we have been created for relationship, and really that's what God wants with us, is a relationship. If we understand that God created us for relationship with God and with other people, we can start using the tools that God provides to help us through the troubling times, to help us to live lives that are pleasing with God. And the tools that we use to cultivate our relationship with God are prayer and worship. The tools we use to cultivate our relationships with other people are serving and giving. And prayer has, uh, for a really, really long time, been this mysterious thing, right? And, you know, we've, we've seen it across the course of history, and we've seen, you know, people say, well, I don't know how to pray. I have no idea what to say. I don't have any idea what I'm supposed to ask for. I don't have any idea if God's even listening. We don't know how to, what to say. We don't know how to say it. And some of us believe that there's this special formula, right? That if we pray a certain way and we can figure that out, then we can pray well. And if we pray well, then God can hear us and listen to us. But if we don't pray well, then, you know, he's not going to pay any attention. I used to sit in church uh, years ago when uh, there was a man who would often get up and pray uh, at the beginning of our church services. And this guy could pray, man. You, you would think that he had God on the cell phone talking to him. That's how well he prayed, and he was passionate, and he seemed to know the right words, and, and I thought, I'm never going to be able to pray like that. And don't we get that way sometimes? We look at somebody, I'm, I'm never going to be able to pray like that. I'm not going to be able to be as spiritual as that person. I'm not going to be able to do the things for the kingdom of God that that person can do. 
so we stop. We don't do things for the kingdom of God. We don't pray. We don't build a relationship with the Father. And I'm looking at this guy, and I'm like, I will never be able to pray like that. And you know what? I was right. I would never be able to pray like that because I'm not him. I am not that man. I do not have that man's relationship with God. I have my relationship with God. And if I think about God and talking to God like I'm talking to a friend, well, we all talk to different people differently, don't we? I talk to my friends differently than Wendy talks to her friends, than Bob talks to his friends. It's not about the words we say. It's not about a special formula. It's not about being able to sound powerful and holy and pious. It's about talking to God. It's about being in relationship. There are no magic words to prayer. I don't have to sound like anybody else because I'm not anybody else. My relationship is not like anybody else's. And Jesus talks about this. He talks about prayer quite a bit, uh, particularly in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verses 1 to 13, he teaches us. He says things like, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, you meaning those who would follow me, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who, is in who sees in secret will reward you. I don't have to pray like everybody else. But what I need to do is not focus on what other people are thinking about my prayer. I need to focus on what God is hearing and what I am saying to him. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. I don't have to pray for three hours unless I can talk to God for three hours. Unless I want to talk to God for three hours. I need to communicate myself to God. And then Jesus does give us something of a formula, something of a way to pray. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We have probably heard this prayer, whether we go to church or not, more than any other prayer ever. It's the prayer that we say at weddings. It's the prayer that we say at funerals. It's the prayer that we say in special uh, services like Easter and Christmas. It's the prayer that we say, some churches say it every single week. We know this prayer, but do we really know this prayer? See, for a lot of years, I would just recite the words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It was almost like a mantra, like a chant. But when I finally understood this passage, 
the whole passage, the whole verses 1 through 13, I learned that prayer is simply talking to God, praising Him for who He is and for what He does, asking Him to fulfill the needs that I have, the physical needs, the spiritual needs. When I realized I didn't have to stand up or kneel down or open or close my eyes or bow or raise my head at the right time, when I realized that it's just talking to God, prayer became simpler. Not easier, but simpler. How many of you have ever gone to uh, a prayer, maybe you've gone to your prayer time, your devotional time, you have absolutely no idea what to say. Anybody ever gotten to that point? I have absolutely no idea what to pray for. There's good news. The Holy Spirit's got you covered. Romans 8.26 says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as, as, uh, for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. If we want to communicate with God and we don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit is there to help us. The Holy Spirit is there to pray for us because the Holy Spirit knows us. And I don't know about you, but to me that is just an exciting thing to know that I don't have to have all the right words. I don't have to to have the feeling of I, you know, this this great grand prayer I can just sit there and ask the Holy Spirit to pray for me, to talk to God, the Father, on my behalf. And God hears those words. A lot of times we mistake prayer, though. We think it's just about asking for things. We think it's just about us talking to God. It's not just us talking to God. God wants to talk to us. If you sit in your room, as Jesus suggests, and you're by yourself, and you pray to God, do you wait for an answer? A lot of times we don't. A lot of times we just, we go, we have our time, we say our prayers, and we're off. Next time you have a devotional time, next time you're spending some time in prayer with God, give yourself an extra five minutes and just sit and listen. Sometimes you're going to hear God talking back to you. And often, if we don't hear God talking back to us directly, it's because he wants to talk to us through other people. And that's the other group of people that can help us in our time of need. God wants us to have right relationships with people so that he can further do his will on earth as it is in heaven. And he will send people to us with an answer to a prayer that we have raised up to God. Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts or our sins as we forgive our debtors or as we forgive those who sin against us. If we're looking for answers from God, we need to be forgiving people. 
If we are looking to get answers through other people from God, we need to forgive others. Jesus is telling us that we ought to act in love towards other people. He's saying that when others fail to forgive us, we should still forgive them. Forgive us our sins as we forgive other people, not as other people forgive us. And Jesus goes even further. Just before teaching us to pray, Jesus tells us what to do if we have wronged somebody. Anybody ever done something wrong to somebody? Just me? Okay. Uh, if we've wronged somebody in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 to 24, we read, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, if you are going before God, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. It's not that God doesn't want to hear from you. It's not that God doesn't want you to pray. What it is, is that God feels that it is just as important for you to be reconciled to your brother or to your sister as it is to talk to him, to offer whatever you're offering to him. If you remember that someone has something against you, that you have wronged someone, go be reconciled. Go ask forgiveness just as you would ask forgiveness from the Father himself. This is the very first step in restoring human relationships, forgiving and being forgiven. It's the very first step before anything else. We need to seek forgiveness. We need to forgive others if we're going to be useful for the work of the kingdom of God. It's that simple. Close behind that step, the second step to having God-pleasing human relationships is to humble ourselves before others. Let go of our pride that says, I don't need anyone else, I can do this all myself. So once we've been restored in relationship to another person, we need to open ourselves up and say, you know what, I can't do it alone. I can't do this alone. I need help. Will you help me? Years ago, when we lived in Red Lion, I decided on my own that I was going to install a new vanity in Wendy's bathroom. She might not remember this. She had her own bathroom. This was, I think, before we had kids. She had... Was it in Catonsville? Oh, I'm sorry. It was even further back. <laughs> My memory's gone. So I got this vanity. Somebody who we knew was selling a vanity that they had taken out. And I figured, okay, pop the old one out, pop the new one in. Easy peasy, no problem, right? There were problems. <laughs> First of all, the vanity fit. It was, it was a nice size. But the pipe that came down out of the vanity didn't line up with the pipe that went up into, you know, from, from the water, right? So I've got a, a water pipe here, and I've got the vanity pipe here. And then, okay, you know, need to figure out how to get, you know, that, and I, you know, you see those little things, and, you know, yeah, sure, I can do that, no problem. But that wasn't the worst part of it. That wasn't the biggest problem. The biggest problem was I had to shut the water off at the main to do the work, which, you know, obviously, being a man, I knew that I had to do that, and I did that, and I went down, and I turned the water main off, 
And I also turned off the uh, thing right there at the sink, right? Because there's a little thing at the sink. You can turn the water off, and then you can have water in the rest of your house while you're working on that. So I turned the water main off, turned the little thing off, figured out I couldn't do what I needed to do right away. So I figured, okay, I'll go turn the water back on the rest of the house, keep this one closed, everything will be fine. Didn't know that the little thing at the sink didn't work. So I turned the water back on, and I hear a scream from the second floor. I'm in the basement. Turn the water off! Turn the water off! And I'm like, what is going on? And I turn the water off, and I go upstairs, and there's water all over the floor. Just a huge mess. So not only were we at, without a working sink, on a Saturday, we were also without water in the entire house on a Saturday. And you guys that have called a plumber on a Saturday know where I'm going with this. It doesn't just cost you money to call a plumber on a Saturday. It costs you a lot of money to call a plumber on a Saturday. So we had to call this plumber. He came in. He must have not gotten there until like 8.30, 9 o'clock at night, and he's in there. And he, he gets the thing hooked up for us, and <laughs> we got it all done. And, you know, of course, pride told me, yeah, I can do it myself. I'm a manly man. I've got the tools. I can do this. Never mind that I had zero experience with plumbing. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Pride told me I could do it myself. My wife said, you'll never do that yourself again. That was my last foray into plumbing. <laughs> but did you know that God puts people into our lives because he knows that we're going to need help? Because we, he knows that we don't know everything? How many, okay, seriously, how many, how many people know how to do everything? Anybody? All right, good. I just wanted to check and make sure. Sometimes the things that we have to do, sometimes the, the work that God is asking for us to do, and we want to do God's will, but the work is just too hard to do on our own. And that's when God sends other people. I'm going to tell you this story from Exodus chapter 17. We read about Moses. And Moses is looking down over this battle between Israel and the Amalekites, who are the enemies of God. And Joshua is leading the, the, the battle down on this field, and here's Moses up here on the hill. And we read that then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So God, uh, Moses said to Joshua, choose us, uh, for us men, go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur... So it wasn't just Moses up there. Aaron and her were up there at the top of the hill with him. But there were problems. Whenever Moses held up his hand with the staff of God in it, Israel prevailed. They won. They were winning the battle. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. And Moses' hands grew weary. So they... Aaron and Hur took a stone and they put it under him and he sat down. And Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side 
the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Moses physically was exhausted. He couldn't raise his hands again. It was no good. And if he couldn't raise his hand, if he couldn't hold the staff of God in his hand, Israel was going to lose the battle. And Aaron and Hur knew it. See, Aaron and Hur were in on the plan that God had shared with Moses. Aaron and Hur knew that when Moses lifted his hand, Israel was winning. And when he lowered his hand, the Amaleks were winning, the Amalekites. They saw it. They knew it. They knew that Moses needed help. And they brought something for him to sit on. And then they stood for the rest of the day, one on one side and one on the other, holding his hands up because, he, because they wanted God to prevail on that day. They wanted the work of God to succeed. So they helped God's man Moses. See, Joshua didn't win that fight. Moses didn't win that fight. And Aaron and Hur didn't win that fight. God won that fight. And he won that fight because Aaron and Hur saw a need in one of their fellow people. And they did something about it. Moses didn't get all prideful and say, no, 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 I got it. I got it, just let me... Let me, let me rub it down my shoulder here a little bit and then I'll, I'll get it back up. He, he did not do that. He, he accepted the help. He sat down. He let them... I mean, if you ever watch like a boxing match where the, the, the boxer is just so exhausted that he couldn't put his arms up anymore, that's Moses. He's just like this and, and he's just sitting there. He has no power physically to do this. Sometimes God puts people in our lives to see that we're struggling, to see that there are things that we ourselves are not able to do, and God puts them there so that they can help us. He puts us there so we can help others. Sometimes God puts people in our lives because they have different gifts and talents and abilities, the things that we don't have. And he wants us working together to do his work. Again, like Aaron, Aaron and her, all they had was strength. All they had was the physical ability to hold a guy's arms up, and that was enough. Joshua had the gift of actually fighting the battle. And choosing the men who were going to go to battle with him. He had that talent and that ability. Moses didn't have it. That's why Moses said, Joshua, you do this part. I'll do the part that God tells me I'm able to do. You do the part that God tells you you're able to do, and God's going to win. God's will is going to be done. You might remember last week we looked at a video showing the antique French bread slicer, and the restorer had taken the whole thing apart so that he could begin the process of restoration. What I didn't show you 
Remember when he, when he tapped off the handle, some of you who were here, that wooden handle, and he looked at it, and, and it just, yeah. We're going to take a look. I, wanna, I want you to look at this video just for a second, um, this little portion of the video here. That guy is good. Man, how many of you have, seriously, I, I want to know how many of you have the ability to do woodwork like that? Thank you for telling me I'll be talking about to you after, uh, after the service. <laughs> the restorer, the guy that had this, this French bread slicer, he realized that he didn't have the tools, he didn't have the skills, he didn't have the ability needed to craft a new wooden handle for this bread slicer. And without that wooden handle, bread slicer wouldn't be the same, would it? So he sent it to a colleague. He did have the tool. He did have the skill. The result was a collaboration that ultimately allows the restorer to continue on with the restoration process. The Holy Spirit puts people into our lives because we don't have all of the tools and all of the talents to accomplish everything. And we don't have the physical energy to do it. My wife being an exception, of course. But those people who we encounter because of the Holy Spirit, the people that he's put into this building today, the people that we see at work, the people that we see at school, they have been endowed with gifts and talents from the Holy Spirit just as we have. Romans 12 tells us, for as in one body we have many members. This is talking about the church now. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith in serving, in, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, we might look at this list and think, well, most of those things don't sound like very big acts for God, right? Then we take a look and say, well, prophecy, sure, that, that sounds big. That's a nice big churchy word. Maybe I want to be a prophet. Sounds like a God-powered thing. But all of these things are God-powered things. They are gifts that are given to us through God's grace. And that makes them immensely important, serving, teaching, exhorting. Exhorting is a big fancy word that means encouraging. Are you encouraging to people? You're doing the work of God with the power of God. Contributing, which is giving financially. Leadership, acts of mercy. Each of us is empowered by God through God's grace to do or to be one or more of these things. And if we want to point people to the cross of Jesus Christ and watch their lives be transformed as our lives are being transformed, we will not hold back using the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. Church, we cannot do everything ourselves. Individually, we are 
fairly weak. We don't know everything. We can't do everything. But together, as a church, God has made it so that we can accomplish his will. We can accomplish the things that God wants to happen in East Berlin and in Pennsylvania and to the uttermost part of the earth. And I feel so blessed to be at this church because that's what I see day in, day out, week in, week out. God's people working together for the purpose of serving God and pleasing Him. God created us to rely on one another. So let's do that. Let's rely on God's grace. Let's rely on one another. Let's use and continue using our gifts so that we can see restoration. Not just in ourselves, but in our brothers and sisters in Christ and in people who have not yet met him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the heart that you have put into this church, the Holy Spirit that has filled this church to do your work. I thank you for all of the different talents and gifts and abilities that you have brought to us. Father, I ask that you would give us wisdom, you would give us guidance, you would give us your marching orders so that we might effectively build your kingdom here in this part of our world and in all of the world. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Amen. We have work to do. The work never stops, but we don't have to do it alone. As you leave here today, take the grace of God with you. Take the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding. Pray and build relationships with God and with one another. God bless you this week.